It's Thursday night, which means it's a good time to talk sports. I mean, it's always a good time to talk sports, but hey, you're in the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. We are talking sports, as Tim told you. And this weekend, if you want to listen to some sports, you're in the right place. This Saturday, Florida State is going to travel to Boston. No, they're not going to play the Red Sox. They're going to take on Boston College. Kickoff is at noon. Pre-game is at 10 a.m. You can hear that right here on WLKF 96.7, 14.30 a.m. The Florida Gators are going to host the Tennessee Volunteers in the Swamp Saturday night, 7 p.m. kickoff, 4 p.m. pre-game, right down the dial at WONN 107.1 or 12.30 a.m. Or Sunday, the Bears are going to travel to Tampa to take on the Bucks, 1 p.m. kickoff, noon pregame. Well, Coach Joe, a lot of stuff coming up this weekend, and the Rays are in Baltimore right now, and they're only two games back. They've got a four-game set against the Orioles. Yeah, where should we start? There's a lot going on. You mentioned the uh, Orioles and the Rays are playing each other in the Camden Yard, so that's the first of a four-game series. The Baltimore currently has a two-game lead on the Rays, so if the Rays can win the series uh, or sweep the series, they could either be tied for first or in front in the division heading into these last two weeks. Uh, two weeks from Sunday, I believe, is the uh, final day of the regular season. Now, the Rays are in great shape, and the wild card probably would be the number four seed if they don't win the division. But the difference is, should they be able to win the division, you get that first round bye and, uh, and, and home field, which you, uh, which you really want to get if you can uh, – and especially if you can avoid the first round of the playoffs, which did them in last year. And uh, a lot of people wondering if the Canes, after their big win over Texas A&M, would be let let down after with a short week. They're playing tonight against Bethune-Cookman. Spoiler alert, they will not have a letdown. They're up 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Should be just a workout for them. So there's a lot going on in college football tonight. There's also Navy's playing Memphis. Uh, so a couple of games on Thursday night and and. In a pro game coming up, Minnesota that lost to the Bucks at Philadelphia, which uh, held on to beat New England. Uh, that's an interesting game. You know, watching Kirk Cousins, got to see both good Kirk Cousins and bad Kirk Cousins when he played the Bucks. You know, that first half or most of the first half, the Bucks looked hopeless and helpless. It looked like it was on their way to a long season, but then they actually slowly took control of the game. I was impressed with Baker Mayfield. Well, right now the Rays lead the Orioles three to one. There's two outs in the bottom of the third, so hopefully they can hang on and pull that out and close to within one game. Definitely of keep the an Orioles. eye on that because, yeah, especially if this is a four-game set, this first game will be critical. If the Rays can pull it out, then they uh, have a really good chance to to win the series. Which you know, if you can take three out of four, uh, you, you take the uh, lead or you tie for the lead in the division. And if you win the first game, you're really looking at at worst a split under that situa- under those circumstances, uh, most likely. Yeah, that's true. And um, the, the Rays, uh, their best pitchers are going to be coming up. Hopefully, that they'll be able to. Um, plus, Savali, I think, is going for him tonight. But uh, they've gotten some pretty good pitching recently. Um, when they went to Minnesota, they got pretty good pitching. Yeah, they they really you know I think they dropped the opener in that one, but then came back and won the other games after that. And that was big because Minnesota, of course, is going to make the playoffs as the winner of the AL Central, barring something really weird. Uh, so winning up in Minnesota was was big, and now they're in Baltimore. 
So uh, a, a tricky part of the schedule for the Rays, and they're handling it very well. And it, this is their chance. If they're going to win the division, it, it'll be this weekend that they make their, their big push. They, they don't play the Orioles anymore uh, after this weekend. That's right, Ned. The Orioles inexplicably lost two to St. Louis, who's been very bad this year. Mm-hmm. Got shut out one nothing last night. You know, Cardinals are strange. They're in last place in their division, and yet every time I pay attention to them, they're beating somebody that they shouldn't. <laughs> but I don't. I guess they're losing all the other times. Uh, very interesting NL Central race. Milwaukee, uh, which beat the Marlins today, uh, holding a slight edge over the Cubs, who are looking good for the wild card spot. Uh, I think you know if there's anybody who's going to give the Dodgers or the Braves trouble, it might just be the Cubs. Yeah, the Dodgers. Um... Losing Urias, that that could hurt him quite a bit. Don't know how long he's going to be out mm-hmm. with that um, problem he had off the field. Well, when we come back, we're going to have the voice of the Tennessee Volunteers, Mr. Bob Kessling, going to come on with us. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. World Series MVP and 88 American League Cy Young Award winner, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Like the man said, you're listening to Ronnie Ocean and Coach Joe in the Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. Coach Joe in the Ozone, it's our distinct pleasure to have with us the voice of the Tennessee Volunteers who are going to come to Gainesville this Saturday night, Mr. Bob Kessling. Bob, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. You there, Bob? Well, we're having a little bit of a problem. Um, don't know. We can't hear Bob. Hopefully he can hear us. But um, We're working on it, Bob, if you can hear us. Yeah. <laughs> we're looking forward to talking talking to you. You know, one of the great voices in the game oh, yeah. uh, of college football, especially Bob Kessling. Yeah, it was really uh, an honor to have him on the show tonight as we get ready and we preview the upcoming game, which is uh, going to be a uh, pregame show. We'll start at uh, 4 o'clock on WONN, our sister station, 1230 AM, 107.1 FM, uh, with kickoff at 7. That's correct. Pre-game at 4 p.m. on WONN. And, uh, you know, Art Robotham and Nancy Katerius and the crew here have been um, carrying the Gator games for a long, long time. And I remember a long time ago, man, many trying to remember when that might have been, maybe in the 80s. That I went to Art and told him that, you know, you, you ought to really try to get the Gators because they the only way you could get them back then was they were on out of Tampa and they were on out of Winter Haven when they had 540 over there was a really powerful station. Or no, no, it was out of Orlando. All right, well, we got Bob Kessling back with us, and um, he's been the voice of the volunteers for 20 years. Bob, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Thanks. Thanks for having me on tonight. Man, we really appreciate it. Well, the Vols are coming down to Gainesville, take on the Gators Saturday night. And, um, you know, I have a theory that each game is a separate entity unto its own without any real relationship to other games. The Gators have won nine straight, but I really don't think that has anything to do with this Saturday night other than maybe some inspiration for the Vols to break that streak. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. I think every game takes on a different tone. Matchups are different. Uh, styles are different. Um, uh, 
talent on each team is a little bit different. Coaching styles are different. And uh, Josh Heupel has really stressed that this week with his team. You know, what happened back in 2003 or 2016 has no bearing on this game. In fact, you know, Tennessee won last year, but that doesn't guarantee they're going to win this year. So um, he has tried to kind of tell them that it's about your preparation. He does that every week. He stresses to them, you know, you play like you practice, and uh, if you've had a good week of practice, chances are you're going to play pretty well. And for the most part, since Josh Heifel's been here, that the formula has worked very well, and they've won a lot of football games. But uh, this is a big test. Anytime you go on the road, especially to open up SEC play, and uh, you've had two games, and you think you know what you got, but you really don't know until you, you go on the road in the SEC and play in a hostile environment like they'll have Saturday night. No doubt about it. And you're going to be bringing Joe Milton, 6'5", 235 out of Pahokee. He, he's a little bit reminiscent of Anthony Richardson with the Gators last year. Tell us about Joe Milton. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comparison. Um, I mean, he's a big, strong-armed guy that can throw the ball. He says he can throw it 100 yards, and I don't doubt him. Um, he is a, a guy that uh, is getting better as a quarterback in terms of running a team and uh, being able to um, throw the ball with some touch down the field. He's got a huge arm, so a lot of times he just puts too much steam on it, and sometimes it's a hard ball to catch. And um, But, you know, Joe has kind of waited his turn, and uh, this is his sixth year in college football, and uh, he's seen a lot. He's studied a lot. He's been here now at Tennessee for three years and uh, came in when he was uh, first recruited to come in here to be the starting quarterback, you know, two years, three years ago. And he did, he was the starting quarterback. Then he got banged up, got hurt. And then hooker, uh, who was here when, uh, recruited by, uh, Jeremy Pruitt and it was already on campus, but, uh, um, so he, they didn't think that the, the new staff, Josh Heupel didn't think that, you know, perhaps they needed, at least needed another quarterback, and then they went out and got Joe Milton. He wins the job in the fall camp and then gets banged up, and then Hendon Hooker takes over. But the thing was amazing. He and um, There was no bitterness between those two guys. They were roommates, and so they kind of fed off each other. And Hendon, just, Hendon was extraordinary as a quarterback. I mean, the, the, his ability to run Josh Heupel's offense, to hit open receivers downfield and throw just hang the ball on a string, and let uh, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman and those guys just run under those long balls. It was it was really phenomenal to watch. And uh, but Joe's trying to get that same touch. Uh, they missed a lot of throws in the Austin P game the other day, and uh, it's interesting. You know, people are a little disappointed with a thirty to thirteen win. And uh, <laughs> there's, you know, there's several years ago there'd be you know people just all just you know. Just, uh, having a parade down Gay Street if you'd won a ball a ball game at Tennessee <laughs> thirty to thirteen, so that kind of tells you where how how high Josh Heupel has raised the bar here and, and the expectation level of uh, what this offense can be and what they expect to see. So no uh, doubt we'll see how much we'll see how much they tuned it up this week and uh, see how they perform against Florida. If Joe can hit those wider, you know the way Josh Heupel's offense is, they're going to have some guys running free in the Florida secondary. And can um, um, can Milton hit him, and that's going to be one of the keys in the game. Bob, I'm a big history buff, and I had, I've been to many games in Nayland Stadium, 
seen them play hundreds of times on television and I always loved the checkerboard end zones, but I never really understood. I just thought, well, you know, that's just a marketing ploy or something. But it actually goes back to General Nalen. Um, can you outline the history of that, how that got to be? Well, when you when you stand uh, at Nealon Stadium, especially in the south end zone, uh, back in those days, you know, there wasn't it wasn't double decked. In fact, it was it was opened end uh, there in the in the north end zone, and the hill is a famous part of the Tennessee campus. That was the original campus, and Ayers Hall is at the top of the the hill, and that's the most famous building on campus, most historical building on campus, and part of the decor of the building was it a checkerboard outline in bricks around the top. And General Nealon used to tell everybody that's that's march to the checkerboards and keep going and do it again. And so <laughs> that was kind of a, that was kind of the, the battle cry that you wanted to drive your opponent, you know, all the way up the hill to the checkerboards. And uh, so but they never put it in the end zone until Doug Dickey got here in sixty four and he he'd heard the story and so he put the checkerboards in. And then uh, when they put the artificial turf in, they took them out. And so there was a there was a stretch. In fact, when I, I played freshman football at Tennessee in '72, we didn't. There were no checkerboards when when I was there. And uh, until they took the turf up, that's when they put the when they put the natural grass back in. Is when they put the checkerboards back in. So and and everybody was happy to see the checkerboards come back. And it's it's a very distinctive uh, look for Tennessee. And uh, uh, it, it's you know, people just really cherish it now, and it's just a big part of tradition. But it was, you know, General Nealon started so many things at Tennessee, and uh, and uh, that, of course, was one of the uh, uh, things he did, get the people to drive to the checkerboards. You know, it, it's interesting story, too. Uh, Jim Tressel, uh, this year, every year they give a Nealon Award to an outstanding coach around the country during spring at the spring game. And Jim Tressel from Ohio State and Youngtown, Youngstown State won it this year, and uh, he got up, and when he got it, they have the banquet right before the spring game at noon, and when he got the award, he gave, he stood up, and he, he made one of the most unbelievable speeches I'd ever heard. First, he, he uh, recited General Nealon's maxims for the game, and uh, which or a lot of coaches around the country uh, still use today uh, about just basic fundamentals about the game and how you're going to win, and uh, and what you know, the first one is a team that makes the fewest mistakes win, and that's pretty simple. But he got up and recited all the maxims, and then he said, "You know, you people that live here in in Knoxville, and you drive along Neelan Drive, and you go by the football stadium, you guys think about football, but you should, and General Neelan, and what you should think about is his selfless service, the fact he served in World War One, then came out and started coaching football, and when World War Two broke out." He went back into the military and served his country, and then when he got when World War II was over, that's when he resumed his his football coaching. And he's such a great example of self selflessness that uh, you Tennessee fans should appreciate that more than actually maybe his football coaching. I, I just thought it was a remarkable speech and a remarkable way to remember General Neyland, who obviously is the backbone of uh, Tennessee football. Our guest tonight uh, is the. Voice of Tennessee Vols football, Bob Kessling, joining us, 682-1430, if you want to join in the conversation, 682-1430. Bob, thanks for joining us tonight. You know, we're talking about one of the maxims for winning. In this series, historically, uh, one of the maxims is run the ball better than the other team runs the ball. 
And in yep. especially with this Gator offense, which cannot win with Graham Mertz throw, throw, throwing for 400-plus yards like Anthony Richardson did last year, that won't do it. That That's a bad sign, I think. Uh, they need to run the ball. Uh, what about Tennessee? We've talked about Josh Heupel's great offensive uh, passing game, but what about the running game? Well, when you talk about uh, with Coach Heupel about his offense, and uh, he'll tell you he wants to run the ball. Uh, he wants to spread you out. He wants to get the numbers in the box, and then he wants to run the ball. And um, Jalen Wright's done a great job. The uh, past two games have been over 100 yards rushing in each one of those games. And the running game really had opened things up against Virginia, and it really opened things up in the second half against Austin P. Um, so he he really wants to run the ball, but if you put enough people in the box to stop the run, then he's got you spread out from sideline to sideline, and then he's got matchups on the outside. So it's basically a numbers game. The whole the, just depends on you know if you're a defensive coordinator, you kind of pick your poison. Uh, it was interesting, Tony Elliott, who's the coach at Virginia, he made a comment that I thought was really very true about trying to stop Tennessee. Elliott said that when you play Tennessee, they make you break all your rules on defense. Everything that you have, your fundamentals and how you play certain sets, you have to break that when you play Tennessee because they give you so many different looks and they're so so different from anybody else that you play because if you put your if you swing a safety over to one of each, one of the other sides to help with the the wideouts on that side then they slip the tight end right down the middle of the field or they run the ball so they really put a lot of pressure on you and they they're waiting for you to miss a line and then they want to hit you with the big play and and Josh Heifel's offense is set up that uh, they they are expecting big plays in either the run or trying to throw the ball down the field and burn you. And Joe Milton's got the arm to throw it 70 or 80 yards. So I'm sure there are a lot of defensive backs that uh, are up at night as they watch film trying to figure out how in the heck are we going to stop this Tennessee team. Who's the best bet for uh, Joe Milton to be looking for? Well, a speed guy, yeah, speed guy is squirrel white, and he'll be in the slot a lot of times. They've got a another speed guy and a good good size receiver that they haven't gotten the ball to very often, but he's a transfer from Oregon called Dante Thornton. And um, so he's another guy that will be in the other slot. Brew McCoy had a big year last year, transfer from Southern Cal. He had 52 catches. He's a big brute of a guy, 6'3", and about 225. And, and he's he's a nightmare for any cornerback trying to tackle him. It's like trying to tackle a, a big tight end. But he can run as well, which makes him very tough. And then Ramel Keaton, who came on really last year when Cedric Tillman got banged up, Keaton really came in and, in fact, had a huge game against Alabama. But he came in as a very established receiver. And so those are basically the four they're going to play. And uh, then they have two tight ends that they like to get the ball to. And uh, McAllen Castles is a guy they brought in from UC Davis, and he had a big touchdown run uh, 34 yards in, in the game against Austin P. And then they have Jacob Warren, who seems like he's been here for 15 years, but I think he's in his sixth or seventh year on the team. But he's a veteran guy, and so he he gives them a lot of stability uh, in that tight uh, tight end slot. But uh, it's uh, it's a it's a fascinating offense to watch and how he schemes things up. Josh Heupel has extreme confidence in himself, 
that he can uh, dial you up and get plays and get guys to run wide open in your secondary. And, um, and for the most part, he's been able to do that. Uh, Bob, you're one of the best in the business, and we, we really appreciate you joining us tonight to give us a, a little bit of a preview for the upcoming big game on Saturday from the Swamp with uh, Tennessee visiting the Gators. Uh, wishing you all the best, and thanks so much for joining us. A- anytime you're, you're around, we love talking to you, and, and thanks for joining us tonight in the Ozone. Absolutely, guys. Thanks. You guys enjoy the game this weekend. Thank you, sir. The great Bob Kessling. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Welcome back. Pull up a chair. There's plenty of room for you in the Ozone. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. Man, what a pleasure to have Bob Kessling on with us. That guy knows his stuff, and what a great voice he has. It's a legend. Yeah. Well, I hope you were listening to Bob Kessling because I have a rant. And you heard what Bob Kessling said about the 30-13 to victory that the Vols had, and the Tennessee fans were not happy because of the margin. And I've heard it said, that, and Pat Dooley loves to say this, Gator, nobody suffers winning more than Gator fans. Well, you just heard that. And, you know, I hear about, oh, Gator fans are impatient. They're awful. Well, let me give you a little history. Auburn and LSU both fired coaches two years after they won a national championship. FSU ran Bobby Bowden out of town when he quit winning. Well, they ran him out of town. He kept living there. Willie Taggart was fired by FSU. They hired him. First season was 2018. They fired him nine games into 2019. And then Ohio State, from 88 to 2000, John Cooper was their coach. He's the second winningest coach in Ohio State history behind a guy you may have heard of, Woody Hayes. He was 111-43-4 at Ohio State. They ran him out of town. Why? Because he was 2-10-1 against Michigan in three and 3-8 in bowl games. The Alabama, the Alabama, Bill Curry got fired after he went 10-2. and two. His wife said, the fans are like a SWAT team. They're awful. And I'll never forget, Bill Curry had a second-floor window in his coaching office. Somebody threw a brick through it, and somebody said, well, we know it wasn't Mike Shula because he can't throw that far. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved that. Kirk Herbstreet. He moved to Nashville from Columbus, Ohio. He was born in Ohio. He played at Ohio State. He was their quarterback. He got death threats against his family in 2011 for things he said about Ohio State. So don't tell me it's not unique to Gator fans. I mean, do they have some a group in the fan base that are that? Yes, every fan base has them. But don't tell me it's unique to the Gators. I can't think of a good fan base in college football. You didn't even mention the Hurricane fans. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who, uh, they just don't show and, up. And, and I, yeah, and I actually, you know, uh, uh, I, I grew up down there and went to grad school there, so I'm kind of like one of them in a sense. But, uh, they, yeah, they basically don't show up until the Canes are good, and then they act like they invented the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, you know, Alabama fans are supposed to be the classy ones, right? They're, they're they're the fan base that included that guy who killed the Auburn tree. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. And, and, he was a retired highway patrolman. What are you thinking? I don't even think he went to school there. He didn't. I mean, yeah. And you know what? I was listening to Feinbaum the day he called in, 
And this guy calls in and he said that those trees at Auburn are going to die. And it was just kind of out of the blue and Feinbaum leads him on. And the guy, he's a former highway patrolman. He says, this is Al from Dadeville. That was his real name. I mean, he didn't give his last name, but that's really where he was from. So how much investigative work did it take to run him down? (laughs) Oh, amazing. Yeah, people really go over the top with the emotion. In a lot of ways, having such emotion and passion is what makes the game kind of special. But on the other hand, uh, there's people who don't seem to know how to how to have perspective or control uh, over it, and, and they're the ones that get noticed. Uh, they're the ones that cause the problems that get into the fights at the games and, and that sort of thing. Um, you, you know, it's, uh, I think with with Gator fans, <clears throat> um, the younger generation of Gator fans uh, lacks something that the, the, us older Gator fans were aware of. We we saw what it was like before Spurrier. When the Gators were not a nationally renowned program, they were well respected and had some moments and produced some great players, but were never considered a, a title contender. The Gators have only been what I would consider "quote unquote" title contenders on a regular basis since 1993. We, uh, I, I saw it again this week. I often talk about Doring's got a touchdown. Doring's got a touchdown. That was the game in the season that that flipped the switch. That Put the Gators into a position where you could actually think of them as a national, true national title contender, as opposed to a wannabe or a hopeful. And, and uh, so, if you if you if your memories of the Gators don't go back beyond thirty years, you're going to think you're going to have these. I, I love this this expectations of championships. You know, the, the, I've said this a few weeks ago, Ronnie. The Gators have the three national titles since Spurrier in that thirty year time period since 1993. That's only one other school has more in that same time period since 1993, and that's Alabama with the six. So the Gators are doing great. I don't. I mean, you know, sure, we want them to play better. We know they're underdogs this coming Saturday. We know that the teams had to rebuild. We know what Dan Mullen did to this to the program. But uh, we got to, yeah, we got to enjoy what we have, don't we? Well, you do, and you know, in, in '84 and '85 and '84. They were the consensus national champions, which Alabama would claim that. Florida does not. Um, you know, they didn't win the AP. The, the AP said, well, you're on probation. You can't win the yeah. title. And I think that Florida team would have crushed that BYU team that was named the national champions that year. Um, Lavelle Edwards was a great coach. And, uh, you know, they, they gave a lot of people a lot of problems because of their passing game. But Florida was – so good. Well, you know, back in, the, in those days, because that's when I first really became a Gator fan when I started going to school there, because I grew up in South Florida, in the early 80s, with the Charlie Pell years, I really got a chance to see up close what the attitude of Gator fans was back then. It was a wait for the other shoe to drop yeah. sense of doom and gloom. Exactly. Something's going to go wrong. We don't know when. We don't know how. But it'll happen. There it is. And, it could, and that was the <laughs> every game, every season was like that. And uh, and Spurrier was the one who put a stop to that, the doom and gloom. He said, "Enough of this. We're going to win. <laughs> Watch." <laughs> and uh, and it and since then we've become what you described as these expectations, like we were born entitled to be a national champion. It's not. It's hard to win. <laughs> but you know what? I, and you said this too. I think every fan base, if they have won, and they've had a taste of that, they expect it every year. You know, another side of this that you, I don't think you hear enough of 
if you're paying somebody seven or eight million dollars a year, they say, well, you need to be patient. No, if they're paying that much money, you're not paying them to go six and six. Now, I think in Billy Napier's situation, you, you do have to kind of think about that the roster that he inherited and how bad that roster was and give him another chance. And then next year, the Gators are going to play 11 Power 5 teams, including Miami, Georgia, LSU, Texas, FSU. Who am I leaving out? They go to Mississippi State. Oh yeah, yeah no, no, it's just one one really good team after another. Uh, next Miami, next don't they play Miami? Yeah, they, yeah, they, they do. Yeah, so um, there's there's no rest for the weary. Miami's having an easy time of it. They're uh, up, I think, thirty four to nothing now. <laughs> no, he dropped it. Oh, he dropped it. <laughs> yeah, still at twenty seven nothing. Yeah, <laughs> give him a minute. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it's going to be an extremely difficult difficult schedule. You know, if you're talking about because uh, because of the nature of the rebuild, it's going to take maybe more time than you would think. And uh, we talked a little bit last week about how Dion seems to have turned around Colorado instantly. Not so fast. He's definitely turned them around, but but uh, they're going to hit some bumps along the road. And uh, we'll see how those fans react after being in the desert all those years. But uh, what about Texas A&M? When, when, maybe we'll talk about this after the break. They got crushed by Miami. Once again, it looks like a letdown season for them. What, what do you think about their patience after six six years now? Yeah, we'll have Jimbo to talk Fisher? about that after the break. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Robert Wall from HBO's Heartless and 60 Minutes Sports, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Welcome back. It is the Ozone it's Ronnie O. It's Coach Joe. Let's talk some sports. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. I know you are hungry. You're thirsty. You cannot wait to get out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You know they're at 5650 South Florida Avenue. You know about those 40 strategically located television sets. And you know about the drink and meal specials every night of the week. So, Ronnie O, be quiet. Quit yakking and let's get cracking. We're hungry. All right, you got it. So if you haven't won in the last six months, here's all you have to do. We've got the easiest of easy for you tonight. 682-1430 is the number if you know the answer and you haven't won in the last six months. True or false, Tennessee has never had a Heisman Trophy winner. 682-1430, chance. Six eight two fourteen thirty. So so true if they've never had one, and false if they had have have. That's had right. One. Okay, got that's it. That's right. <laughs> and if you know who he was, and you can name him, then that's fine too. Even better. There you go. <laughs> you All get, right. And no extra prize, but but you get the the respect points too if you. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'm probably the only Red Sox fan in the area, but. The Red Sox fired Kyan Bloom today, the chief baseball officer that they got from the Rays. I think the Rays sent him up there to sabotage the Red Sox. He did a pretty good job. They finished last twice in the last four years. They did take Houston to a sixth game, and uh, but then the Red Sox have won four World Series since 04, which is the most in Major League Baseball. On this date in 1916, Hall of Famer Christy Mathewson Pitches and wins his final game. He pitched 17 years, all with the New York Giants. He was 373 and 188 with a 
ERA and won the World Series in 05 and in 21. All right, we got somebody that's hungry and thirsty. Who's this? Terry. Terry, how you doing? I'm good. You hungry and thirsty? Yeah. Actually, I'm tired. I'm heading home. All right, there you go. All right. True or false, Tennessee has never had a Heisman Trophy winner. True, they have not. That's absolutely yeah. correct. You, you didn't you didn't fall for our uh, our curveball when he said if you can name him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> didn't fall yeah, for when that. He said, hey, no, when he said that, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Because the one, that one, and I'm embarrassed, I don't remember who they named, but I will never forget the look on that poor fella's face when they went to name the Heisman Trophy, and he went to get up. And you talking about him. Peyton Manning? Thank you. I uh, thank you. I couldn't think of his name to save my life. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, you? when Charles Woodson won it, I think he was sure. But, you know, that wasn't the first time. Um, in 1956, <laughs> Paul Horning was on a 3-8 and eight Notre Dame team. He was the quarterback. Okay. And he won it over Johnny Majors, and everybody said Johnny Majors was a tailback at Tennessee who should have won it, and he did not. And so it was a very, you know, they didn't have the television coverage and so forth back then, but exactly. very similar circumstance. Oh. Online, oh, we call it the heart. Manning face. You know, that, that looks. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, my God. I felt, I felt sorry for him, but it was kind of hysterical. But bless his heart. Are you a Vols fan? No, actually, my brother played for Bobby Bowden. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry. You're ineligible. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 Who was your brother? Brad Foytick was his name. It was back in 79 to his last game was the 83 Peach Bowl. What position did he play? He was a, he was a tackle because I have a really good picture of him in the 82 Gator Bowl where he sacked uh, uh, Jeff Hofstadler. Oh, wow. It's an amazing Against West Virginia. You're right. Boy, they were noisy going in there, man. <laughs> they were coming out. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about fan bases earlier, Terry. You know, West Virginia's. I, I remember the Sugar Bowl in '93. <laughs> they were exactly like that, talking, talking, and loud and raving, and they got quiet real quick in that game too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's tough. You know, you 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 love it, and you love the boys. You know, no matter. Because my husband's a huge Gator fan. Oh well, so then you've redeemed yourself. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> so, oh but man. It's fun. Yeah, it's exciting. Very exciting. Uh, how is how is uh, how's your husband as a fan? Is he uh, gloom and doom, or does he uh, just enjoy being a Gator, which is one of the great privileges on earth? I think. <laughs> oh really? Oh, I, I don't think he's ever going to grow out of it. Ooh, you, he sounds like me. My wife says. Oh. If I'm using very colorful language, one of two things is happening. Either the Gators are losing or I'm on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, okay, okay, okay. But, I mean, even, even to the point where, oh, you know, well, I didn't do such and such, so that's why they lost. I'm like, honey, 
No matter what you do, the outcome's going to be the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. Respect the rituals. Yes, <laughs> Terry. Terry, please don't ever say it's just a game. Okay, you're right. I mean, it's, right. it's not just on Saturday. I mean, my week begins. What am I going to wear on Monday? It depends on who we're playing, you know? Oh, yeah. If and we're playing Georgia, I don't wear red all week. And if I sit on the left even, side no. of the couch and they're he doing poorly. They won't wear red, period. Yeah, they won't wear red. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Have you ever been out to the Ale House, Terry? Uh, it's actually the very first time we went. It's been quite some time ago. Our grand, We took our grandson, and they were having a little raffle, and he won a bicycle. God love him. All right. <laughs> I know. Uh, He's like 20 now. <laughs> Well, it's it's a fun place to go. A great, great place to watch the game. And I've frequented a few sports uh, established sports lodges and bars over the years. And Bailhouse, the one here in Lakeland, has an amazing uh, setup that allows you to view as many games as possible. Okay, so do do do. So can you you can listen to the game? Oh, they'll uh, well, you know, to, uh, in certain games they'll turn the sound on, yeah. Uh, but okay. uh, you're okay. talking about 40 TVs, and on a college football oh, there Saturday, there's, uh, you know, there's six, seven games going on at once, and you can True. see them all. True. Same thing with an okay. NFL Sunday. Amazing. Yeah, no doubt, Terry. If you will, hang on the line. Tim will get your information, and um, we will send that out to Yale House tonight. You can go as early as tomorrow, and what you do is you go out there. Tell them who you are. Tell them you won on the ozone. And um, when you finish eating and drinking, they'll take $30 off your tab. How about that? All right. I hope we didn't no, lose. Don't, don't, don't go away, Terry. we still got to get your information. Okay. Yeah. Terry, you still there? Well, uh, uh, no, oh, we can you hear you. Okay. Hope you didn't crash okay. or anything. You know, we, you said you no. were driving. <laughs> No. <laughs> My yeah. puppies are attacking me. Well, that's all right. Hang on the line, and Tim will get your information. Did uh, did you heard what I said about going out to the ale house? Tell them you won, and um, then uh, they will um, take thirty dollars off your tab. Okay. Oh, excellent. All right. Thank you so much. Congratulations, See you there, Terry. Yeah. Thanks, guys. This is awesome. I'm I'm excited. All right. Tim's going to get your information. Well, on this date in 1923, in his fourth heavyweight boxing title defense, Jack Dempsey, in one of the most exciting heavyweight championships ever in the history of boxing, he knocked Louis Furpo, the wild bull of the Pampas, down nine times, seven times in the first round. Then Furpo knocked Dempsey through the ropes and into the row of sports riders. So back then... It was very interesting, Coach Joe. You know, now you have to go to a neutral corner. Not so back then. Guy knocks you down, he's standing over you. When you get up, you're going to get whacked again. <laughs> so it was, if you ever get a chance, it only lasts about a couple minutes. But it's really fun to watch. 1924, big train Walter Johnson, 21-year major leaguer, second winningest pitcher in the history of baseball, 417 wins, 2.17 ERA with 110 shutouts. How about that? He was the American League MVP that year. These guys could pitch all day. Yeah, they, <laughs> and and they did. On Sunday, yeah, right? they did That's often they back did, then. Yeah. 1986, Walter Payton scores his 100th rushing touchdown and goes over 15,000 yards at Soldier Field against the Eagles. And um, here's one. 1987, Cal Ripken Jr. streak of 8,243 consecutive innings 
is finally broken. How about that? Yeah, I think, innings. Yeah, I think they they made it a point to uh, to finally end that streak. Uh, you know, because he he not only was playing game after game, he was never coming out. And, right. Yeah, uh, you know, he was getting older, and I think they decided, well, at least we got to give him a little bit of rest within the game, or or you know, in order that he'll last longer. Uh, and uh, you know, he was just he was just really consistent. Everybody thought, well, does he get tired? Does he need a day off? You know, every time he had an offer, somebody would say that. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's so contrary and all the time. Yeah. But no, he was just built that way. He built, He showed up and played every day. In 1991, San Diego State freshman running back Marshall Falk rushes for an NCAA record 386 yards and scores seven touchdowns. The record by Samaje Pirine of Oklahoma, 427 yards rushing Against Kansas. He's a cousin of LaMichael. That's right. He is. You're right. You're exactly right. 2003, Baltimore Ravens running back Jamal Lewis sets an NFL single-game rushing record when he runs for 295 yards. That's since broken by Adrian Peterson in 2007. And here's one that I always found interesting. Middleweight champion Stanley Ketchell, the Michigan assassin, fought heavyweight champion Jack Johnson – and they kind of had an agreement that, you know, it was like an exhibition. Well, Ketchell knocked him down, and it infuriated Jack Johnson. Johnson got up and knocked him cold, <laughs> and he hit him so hard that several of Ketchell's teeth were embedded in Jack Johnson's glove. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> Those were some tough guys. Hey, Tim, thanks for uh, helping us out tonight. Uh, is Eric and Sarah, happy, cel- happy anniversary. 27. How about yeah, 27 that? Yeah, it's always happy to give Eric a little bit of time, particularly when it's important. Well, <laughs> he should, she should get a medal of honor for putting up with Eric for 27 years. So <laughs> we really appreciate that. On this date, 1934, Rice running back Dickie Mogul is, rushes for a touchdown, or almost a touchdown against Alabama in the Cotton Bowl, but Alabama's Tommy Lewis can't stand it. He comes off the sideline and tackles him without his helmet on, and the referees awarded Mogul a touchdown. Alabama quarterback that day, Bart Starr, a very young Bart Starr. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly.